staying there? Should I move this back so that everybody over there can see you? I'm not sitting down. Oh, you're not staying there? Okay. Oh. Okay. Come on. It's on. Yes, it is. Boom. I wouldn't worry with the um, PowerPoint because um, as we were worshipping and praying, I had a sense that I need to take it in a slightly different direction. So what's up there won't be probably what comes out of here. Um, so you'll just get confused. I'll get confused if I try and make the two come together. Before coffee, I said to you, for the sake of those of you who weren't able to be here, that you are gifts. And that you are gifts from God to the church for the building up of the church. And you who are gifts to the church have gifts which you bring with you and the church is built up and strengthened and those gifts aren't all really clever things. Some of them are down-to-earth things like mucking in and mucking out and I won't forget that in a long time. Just helping and smiling was the other one which I really loved. Um, but there was a whole range of things. So your gifts to the church. Now in this last talk, where I talk about us as being the missionary people of God, I need to say to you that like Peter and John, you are gifts to the community of Walderslade um, for the proclaiming of Jesus Christ and him crucified so that Walderslade may be saved. So your gifts in and you are gifts out. And it's the gifts out bit that I'm going to talk about now. And I'll begin, as I often do, with a story. Um, for years and years and years, I've um, visited Nottingham because that's where my grandparents lived. It's where my father grew up. Um, it's where my mother, well, she went to school near there. And as long as I can remember, in the middle of Nottingham by St. Peter's Church and Marks and Spencers, which are kind of welded at the waist, it's a funny kind of arrangement, there's an open space, a nice open space, at the bottom of Wheelergate. And there, almost without fail, every Saturday and sometimes other days in the week, there is a street preacher. Now, I've done street preaching. It's hard to do. It's getting harder because there's so much noise and people are bombarded. And often people now aren't listening to what's around them. But the street preachers at the bottom of Wheelergate in Nottingham shout at you. They rail at you. They tell you what terrible people you are, which I've done this weekend, telling you you're scruffy and that you're sinners. But actually, there's been a balance, hasn't there? I've told you those things so that you can rejoice the more that God values you enough to rescue you and God has done so and is changing you still. But the preacher who has installed himself there of late screams. And I, can, I listen quite carefully. They've always got a big black Bible, a floppy big black Bible. And it looks like a weapon. And they wave it as if they're about to thump you with it. And I listen quite carefully. I pretend that I'm not a Christian and walk past and listen carefully. And the only word I can hear is the word hell. And that's really bad news. I don't know what about hell, though I can imagine what he might be saying. 
I can't even hear the name of Jesus because it's very hard to scream the name of Jesus, interestingly. Hell is a hard word, you can shout it. Heaven's a much softer word. Jesus is the gentlest word of all. And I am ashamed and embarrassed and I know that all that he is doing is confirming to people their parody of the church, that the church doesn't know how to have fun, that the church is about being nasty, that it can be quite abusive, that essentially it's everything that I don't want to be. It's everything that I've not talked about this weekend. It's everything that Peter and John didn't do. That's not evangelism, friends. I want to take the story that you've just heard and Martin helpfully introduced, it saved me saying that bit, that, and I want to use it to show us what we are called to be because all of us are apostles. The church is apostolic, which means we're all sent. That's all the word means. We are a sent people, sent as gifts out there. And when I say Walderslade, think the school that I go to, the workplace that I go to, the shops that I shop in, the cafes that I inhabit, the pubs where I have a pint, the home that I live in, the neighbours that I have, and all the rest of it. That's what I mean when I say Walderslade for shorthand. The marks of the apostles in this story, i.e. the marks of what it means to be a gift to Walderslade, are this. One, we're told that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is why Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and in the week, the church prays, come Holy Spirit, because the primary qualification for being a gift out there is not that you're nice people or even that you're loving people, but that you are Holy Spirit people so that you can do what God needs you to do and find the right places to do it in and be presented with the opportunities. And so in each of these things, I can say to you, and this is what God's calling you to do as a church today. The first then is to pray that the Holy Spirit will fall again on this church as on the day of Pentecost. And yes, you might speak in tongues, you might not. So that you're driven out. And that, of course, if you go back one chapter behind what Martin reminded us of, to chapter two, that as soon as the Holy Spirit falls, they find themselves out of that house, and Peter, and no doubt the others, the other apostles, and the women who were with them, are going around the crowd, and they are preaching. It won't have been one preacher just at the front, It'll have been like in the great Methodist revival of 1810 at Cop in Shropshire, where there were four preachers, one on each side of the hill, preaching, facing in four directions so that everybody could hear simultaneously. And that is what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting to fall on you all and blow you out that you may be apostles, an apostolic church. Of course, you've done it already. 
and all I'm doing is saying, we need more. Not, I've come here to tell you that that's what you should be doing because you didn't know it. You're here because you know it, filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Peter and John are described as ordinary and uneducated men, ordinary and uneducated people. So it seems that alongside the qualification of the Holy Spirit, the second qualification is that you shouldn't be too smarty-pants. And sometimes too much theology and too much cleverness in the church is a dangerous thing because it makes you think you know how to do it. And to be honest, a little bit of nerves and humility and I'm a nobody is good. Ordinary and uneducated man. When I met Jill, she was in a Pentecostal church in Bulwell, just outside Nottingham. And um, I went with her to the evening service and um, this little guy, I tell this story often, shook my hand at the uh, door and he said, good evening, brother, praise the Lord, or something like that. And then he asked me who I was and he asked me what I was doing and I said, I'm studying theology, I'm going to be a pastor, a minister, I can't remember what word I used. And he said, praise the Lord, brother, I've got a BA and a DD. Oh, flip, Bachelor of Arts, Doctor of Divinity. Born again, devil defeated, praise the Lord, brother, he said. <laughs> and that story's been told many times by many people. He was a minor. His wife was a minor's daughter. She had grown up in a two-bedroomed house with her 12 siblings. Mum and Dad slept in one room with the little ones, and the others slept on newspaper in the other room. They were outstanding evangelists. They were ordinary and uneducated people, Mr. and Mrs. Hollis. They'd never been to secondary school. By the standards of the world, they were nobodies. But they had a BA and a DD, both of them. And those are the best degrees you could ever want. So, your second qualification for being sent out as a church is that you don't need to be clever. And that's a wonderful relief. Because that means that you don't train a team of evangelists to go out. You are the evangelists to Slade, all of you, individually and together. The third thing is that they spoke into the context. And if you read Peter's sermons carefully, you will know that he understood Judaism. He was a Jew. He understood the Romans around him. They were the governing authorities. He understood the community. He understood how life worked. And I'll come back to this one in a little bit. Um, but just to say now that it's really important for the church to tell Waldeslade its own story. Um, I, I've mentioned Shane once, I'm going to mention him again. Is he still here? Or is he not here now? Okay, so he's out. Okay, that's all right. Shane went on the walk yesterday with us, and he showed me on a bit of the Pilgrim's Way where, many, where bombs fell, and the bomb craters that are still there. And I thought, you know, I'd walked straight past them, and I hadn't noticed 
and those are a really significant part of your history. But I do know, um, I'll tell you this bit now, I do know where I'm living, which is an old mining area, the story of my great-great-grandfather, whose name was John Stone, John Joseph Stone, who died in 1872 in a mining disaster in Clay Cross, which killed 88 people, I think it was. And the story goes that he was probably the person who lit the match that, um, to light a candle that blew up the methane. And it's important for me to know that story because underneath our house and all around are the traces of the mines. And what's more important, the miners and the children of miners and the grandchildren of miners. And I know what a hard world that was. And I can talk with a little bit of integrity about it because I know the story. And so the third thing for you, the third challenge for you, is what's the story of Walderslade? What are the spiritual forces in Walderslade? What's scarred it down the ages? What's shaped it? What are the spirits that are troubling people? What is the angel of the community wanting to say? Do you know those letters to the angels of the churches in Revelation? What would the angel write to Walderslade? What's the story of Walderslade? So Peter and John, knew their context, we need to know our context and talk into it. Fourthly, they were clear about the fact that they were speaking on behalf of God. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. And throughout Acts, we know that the apostles are speaking on behalf of God. And we are also called to go into our places of work. And when we speak to our employees, our employers, our pupils, our teachers, our friends, our neighbors, and have the most ordinary conversations as well as gospel conversations, we are speaking on behalf of God. Which is why we think about what we say, but we know that we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. Fifthly, they're bold. They're ordinary and uneducated, so they haven't learned British politeness. They're bold because they're excited and they know, they long for Jerusalem to be saved. We long for Walderslade to be saved. And so we boldly go where angels fear to tread. And we go. Do you remember last night I was talking to you about the, the mission in Toxteth where there was somebody who took objection to the cross being put up in the middle of clubland? We really need to go boldly 
into the dirty places and the untidy places and the what our people around us would call the mucky places. The really, the places that, no, that everyone discounts boldly. I'm nearly at the end of this list and then I'm going to sum it up. And they were unafraid of the consequences. <coughs> unafraid of the consequences. They might get locked up for it. There's a lovely story of a, a Roman Catholic priest who was uh, a monk in the town of Zanten in northern Germany in the war. And um, he was arrested um, because the Roman Catholic Church spoke out against Hitler. And he was taken to uh, a, prison, a prison camp. I think he was actually taken to um, Auschwitz-Birkenau. And he put himself forward in the place of a Jewish family, knowing full well what the consequences might be and were. And the Catholic Church has declared him a saint, but he didn't do it in order to be called St. Maximilian. He did it because as an apostle, he knew that with Christ there is nothing to fear. And you're afraid of your neighbors? The last thing in this list, I went quite carefully through the passage, is that they had a plausible message because they had just performed a healing in Jesus' name. People gathered around them because they'd seen the man at the gate, beautiful, getting up and walking and leaping. And I'd hoped you were going to sing that, Martin, but you didn't. And praising, because then we could have all done it together. And you can imagine this man who's over 40 getting up and dancing for the first time. Now, I know that not many of you, perhaps, have such stories to tell or even things to show. But actually, your love, your hospitality, your prayer, your care, your boldness, and your passion for Jesus Christ have as powerful a testimony to bring to the people of Walderslade as that healing at the Gate Beautiful. So there are three things that sum it up, and I just want to underline each of them. All of those things say to me that the apostles touched people at their place of need, spoke to people in their own language, and gossiped the gospel. They touched people at their point of need, they spoke to people in their own language, and they gossiped the gospel. Let me say something first about gossiping the gospel, because this is the bit that I think God said to me, say to you we are told that the things you don't talk about in public in England are sex, politics and religion I don't know about sex and politics but I think that somehow we've got to normalise God talk in our own conversation so that when we go around Walderslade we talk to God 
If we talk to God, yes. We talk about God in an everyday sort of way. We've kind of trapped God behind the table here, haven't we? God, you can come out now, it's Sunday. We'll talk about you for an hour and a half. And then you can go back in that nice box under there. Well, when we're walking down the street and we bump into someone, does God ever enter the conversation if the person is not a Christian in a gentle sort of way? One of the things, it's not, that, it's not rocket science. I've noticed that my neighbours have started saying to us, bless you. And what's more natural than to say, and bless you too, I'll pray for you this week. Now, there are some people who would find that threatening. But actually, quite a few people would say, gosh, will you? Nobody's ever said that to me before. Or do you think God's interested in me? And one day, that bless you, bless me, pray for you, pray for me. Isn't the world amazing conversation that we have? We have a great God. Might just open the door to the conversation. It's harder in some ways for us than it was for Peter and John because England is just so riddled with religion. And that's why people are tired of talking religious talk. But the ordinary gossiping the gospel that says I am who I am because I can't imagine that this world just happened out of a big bang. I'm sure there was a big bang, but I think that God made the big bang. I can't imagine living without God and I love you enough to want to pray for you because you're having a hard time is natural conversation to have. And I'm not telling you this because I do it easily. I've told you several times that I'm shy. I find it quite hard to talk to people at all about anything, let alone God. But we need to normalise God conversation in our homes And in our church, talked to you last night about do we pray for each other, how often do you talk God talk to Christians, let alone non-Christians, unless you're in a religious context or a Bible study? Is God just here in the way we talk and act all the time? So that's what I mean by gossiping the gospel. We need to reintroduce the language of faith into Walderslade without becoming Bible bashers and probably the easiest way to do it is in the casual conversations I did and I'll move on from this I did um, walking around Toxteth do some door knocking and when we door knocked we simply said, we're going around, we're on a mission team, and all uh, we want to know is if there's anything in this house we can pray about for you. And nobody, but nobody in Toxteth got angry. 
One or two people said, no, I'm all right, thank you. But most people said, oh, it's very kind of you. And yes, you could pray such and such. Only one person asked us in. But on the doorstep. So that's gossiping the gospel. The other two will have to be much quicker. Speak to people in their own language. Well, I've said that in a way. Know the story. Tell the story. Don't come over as if you were some different kind of animal by virtue of being a Christian. And I think we've got to get used to the fact that um, the world is pretty foul-mouthed. And we've got more important things to worry about than people's bad language. There are much more life-changing things than people's bad language. And if people's dirty mouths offend you, well, go home and pray for them. Actually learn to speak people's language without the swear words. Without the swear words. We don't need to swear. We've got a better vocabulary than that. And the last thing is that we touch people, as Peter and John did, at their point of need. And there are three things that I see in the world where we can touch people. One is that many people are lonely. And so we speak into people's loneliness. And we introduce Jesus to them by befriending them because I am Christ to them. And then they can meet Christ for themselves. So we, we particularly, I think, are being called to the lonely in this season. Secondly, we are being called to those people who find life meaningless. And this may be particularly for those of you who know how to talk about the faith a bit. But actually to say to people, if only you would think about God a little bit, you would find that God has a purpose for your life. And then there's surely not, God doesn't, isn't interested in me, I don't believe in God anyway. Say, well, God actually has a purpose for my life. My life was very messed up. And some of you can quite legitimately say you have had and have quite difficult lives. But here's the purpose that God's got for my life. Putting meaning into their meaninglessness. So lonely, we're called to the lonely, I think, particularly. We're called to those who have questions. That's what meaninglessness is. And lastly, I think there's a huge amount of aggression. We're becoming a very aggressive society. Talked about Brexit last night. Brexit's just focusing all sorts of aggressions. We're a complaining society. And I think we can speak peace as Christians if we're not falling out with each other, of course. We can speak peace to a world that only knows how to thump people when there is a disagreement. Simple message. Gossip the gospel. Speak to people at their point of need. Speak in their own language. And Holy Spirit, I pray now that you will fall on this church as you did on the day of Pentecost. Lord, in whatever way you want, whatever signs you want, Lord, it's not me to say, it's you to fall. But as you fall on them, pick them up with that wind and blow them out into the streets so that as they 
paint them in kingdom colors. They speak to people of a God who cares and a God who loves and a God who sent Jesus. Blow them out, Lord, and save Walderslade. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>